All right, well, hey, good morning, everybody. How are you? Wow, that good, huh? And I know that, I mean, that is kind of a hard question because, man, there are some of us who are not good. And so it's kind of hard sometimes when we feel forced to say we're great when we're not feeling so great. It will be fascinating to just keep watching, right? If I've done my math right, who knows who's going to come wandering in here in about 10 or 15 minutes for the service because they forgot about this daylight savings time thing. Um, But we're glad you guys are here on time. And man, just you can't tell it today, but the past couple weeks we know that it's been getting kind of tight in here. And so that's why we've, I think, added this extra row that's even too close for my first row friends. My first row friends are like, bro, I got to get on that second row. But <clears throat> you can't tell it today, but we know the past few weeks we've been adding folks and growing folks. And so we've tried to bust out that area a little bit. And we are watching because there's all sorts of t- statistics about when we should do things. And so we're going to do it. And we're thinking about what a next um, option will be when we kind of hit capacity or close to capacity in here. And if that happens, and as that happens, we'll be sure to let you guys know that. Um, but just want to let you know that, again, can't tell it this week, but we are aware of that and excited about that, and that's great. And appreciate parking lots gotten full the past few weeks, thanks to those who park across the street who serve in our ministry teams. And I am just so grateful uh, with Daylight Savings Time and all that. Uh, man, I just appreciate Emmanuel. He's working 40, 50 hours a week and coming to serve faithfully, leading a team, leading us in worship in this interim role. So thanks to him. Thanks to the band. <clears throat> And the team that shows up every week, right, uh, to serve with him and the tech volunteers and the coffee folks and the greeters and the folks who get here early to throw out that amazing ice pellet stuff that'll kill the squirrels and Canadian geese as well, right? But there's a ton of people behind the scenes who create a space for us to be able to come into to worship God. And I, uh, I get paid to do this, but they don't. And so the sacrifice they make is really commendable. And so on behalf of everybody, we're grateful to, to all of you guys. If you're visiting with us, if you're newer, we have this bulletin um, you can grab on your way out. We have an app. We have a website. Lots of ways for you to either learn about us and also ways for you to let us know how we can help you, how you can, we can serve you. There's a visitor contact card in the hard copy of the bulletin or a QR code. You can take the contact card, drop in the offering box with your name or some specific questions or requests or hit that QR code. Uh, but man, we just want to serve you. We want to walk with you and excited about what God is doing in our body. And so uh, looking forward to the sermon today. I'm personally enjoying the Nehemiah series. You don't have to be. That's fine. But I am. I'm kind of, uh, man, I'm enjoying digging into each week. And so I'm excited about just some of the practical observations that God has for us today. And so I will pray and we will press into it. Father, we're grateful for the reminder from the songs um, that you are the victor and uh, that Jesus is the king who is ruling even now. Um, And in a world where it just isn't the way it should be, Father, and we continue to just be heavy for Ukraine um, and just the the crisis that words can't even capture, um, we continue, Father, to regularly and to faithfully bring that before you and ask for your intervention. Um, And just, uh, we know you're in control, but uh, some of us would love to... uh, have you exercise that control to stop it, but we don't know what's best, so we just pray, Father, and we just pray for the families and the lives and the pain and the, and the suffering um, that's in that situation. We pray for the people in our own congregation, God, who even today are, 
are reeling from different health diagnoses or different um, situations they weren't expecting. And I pray that your presence will be near to them. I'm thankful, Father, for the folks today who you've just shown up in their lives in amazing ways these past few weeks and for your kindness and your goodness to them and for their celebration of you. And Father, we come because we want to be people who are continually shaped into the presence of Jesus. And your word helps us do that and our time together as a body helps us do that. And so will you work as we continue in the series of Nehemiah, Father, and um, impress upon our hearts the things that you would have us know so that our lives are different and so that we reflect and glorify Jesus well. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, today is part two of what we kind of did last week, right? We don't often have many part one sermons or part two sermons, but I didn't want to keep you here for 42 hours last week. So this is part two of last week, which means last week was part one in uh, a kind of we're walking through Nehemiah. If you missed last week, uh, you can check it out online and watch the sermon. And, you know, last week, many of you were introduced to the amazing mannequin at Calvary Church. Right, that creepy mannequin that came out of the side. He didn't like come out on his own power. That would have been really weird, right? But we drug a mannequin on stage. If you missed that, we'd encourage you to watch it. Um, what we're doing is we're working our way through the book of Nehemiah, as many of you know, but not all of you may know. What we do at Calvary is we open up a book of the Bible and we work through it kind of paragraph through paragraph, sentence through sentence. And we've been doing that with this little book in the Old Testament called Nehemiah. And in the upcoming weeks, I think we've already seen, uh, hopefully, some, some, man, just encouraging things, practical things, challenging things. In the upcoming weeks, uh, we're going to see some things next week about just reminding us what does God want our perspective and our actions to be towards those who are in need, the poor, right? What is a wrong approach that we have towards those who have needs? What does God want us to do towards those who have needs? The week after that, we're going to talk about conflict and discouragement, and if you've ever had anybody uh, give you some criticism, well, we're going to press into see what Nehemiah's principles from there and what Nehemiah did when he faced some criticism and worked through that. But this week is part two of what we studied last week. And last week what we said, as we were in Nehemiah 3, we kind of started with this premise, this idea that you and me and together as a church community, right, we're a team. And we're more than a team. We kind of said we're this family. We're more than a family. Scripture also talks about us being a body, right? The body of Christ. And we're a team. We're a body. We're a family working together towards something. We're not working together to win the NCAA tournament. Uh, but if you're into the NCAA tournament, you better finish up your pools. We're not going to do a pool of Calvary this year because there was about a four-year period where every staff member who won the pool you know, within 12 months was no longer on staff. I, I don't know who did it. Somebody jinxed the NCAA pool here at Calvary. So we will not be doing one, but feel free to do one in your workplace. Uh, but man, we're a team of people. We're a family. We're a body. We're working together towards a goal. The goal is not to win the NCAA tournament or to make sure Mike Krzyzewski loses every possible game before he retires. But the goal as a church body is to do this, right? This is this vision statement. We had this family meeting a couple weeks ago where we gathered together and we talked about what does God have for us and we've prayerfully after months and months and months of the elders and the staff and leaders working through what we feel God has for us in the season. This is the goal that we're working towards. Together to build a body of disciples who personally and collectively impact others with God's love and truth. At Calvary, what we're pressing into is to build a body of disciples who personally and collectively impact others with God's 
truth. We're doing that because as we unpacked last week, that's what God's word, when you pull together what he wants churches to be doing, that's it. And so we're rallying around that. Those ideas matter to God and those are the ideas that we're pursuing, that we're working towards together as a group. But like we said last week, we're not the first group of people who have rallied and linked arms and worked together towards something, right? We're in this book of Nehemiah, and we've seen through our weeks together that Nehemiah recognized this need, the need with these walls of Jerusalem that were broken down after an enemy invaded that city and that region. And if, if you've missed all that, again, Sermons on chapter 1 and 2 are up online. And Nehemiah kind of let that need just simmer with him. And he really thought about, okay, is this what God wants me to do? And if it is what God wants me to do, then there was a season we saw where he prayed and he waited as he thought about, okay, how does God want me to do that? Once he realized how God wanted him to do it, he took a step of faith. He went public. And we saw some principles about when you're trying to engage people and what you feel God calling you to do, what you can do, what you can't do. He went public. And then last week, he actually had rallied this group of people and they began to work on this wall, right? Bunch of groups of people together as a team were working on the wall. And so what we saw last week is we saw the story of them beginning the work. And here's where Nehemiah kind of did in, in chapter 3 and what he does in chapter 3. Uh, this is the, the picture of the wall <clears throat> that Nehemiah is repairing, right? Kind of in that day. And here's the sheep gate. Chapter 3, Nehemiah starts up here and he works counterclockwise around the whole wall of Jerusalem. And he explains where different people different people, groups of people were, and what they were doing at each wall. And you and I, together, we start the Sheep Gate, and then I read and you listened to all of chapter 3. Lots of names. If you're adopting a pet or having a baby, you have some good options for some names in chapter 3, right? And from that list of names in chapter 3, uh, we, we kind of observe some lessons from Nehemiah for our church and our group today. And today we're going to continue in chapter 3. So if you have your Bible, open it up or device, flip it on to Nehemiah chapter 3. In Nehemiah chapter 3, and last week we saw three observations um, from Nehemiah's story, from his work for our church and for our work. And today we're going to pull four more, right? So Nehemiah chapter 3, and we're going to pull four lessons from Nehemiah's work for our church and for our work today. Here's what we saw last week, right? Here's the spoiler alert. Last week from Nehemiah 3, the three observations from his story for our story is that You have a unique role to play, and you are needed. That every single person who calls Calvary Church their church home has a unique role to play, and every single person is needed. That's when Manny the Mannequin helped us demonstrate that, with body parts strewn around. Well, I came in the other day, and the body parts were there, and somebody had put police tape around. And they had taken an outline of tape and put it around the body of the mannequin that was severed in pieces and scared little children to death, right? But last week, from all that, you saw that you have a unique role to play and you are needed. We also saw this idea that as leaders, we are in this with you, and this is a work that together we're doing for God. And then finally, the last principle we pulled last week is do not let pride or a wrongly inflated view of yourself stop you from serving. And so today, what other principles can we, can we pull? Well, let's just jump into it. And uh, what we said last week, right, the challenge was, I think I asked you to read it a certain number of times and pull some observations from it, right? I think I asked you to read it, I don't know, three or four times. How many? Three. Oh, that's good. 
<clears throat> you are a good student. Read it three times and pull some observations from it. Three observations, maybe? Six observations. Okay, good, right. Read it three times, pull six observations. Read it three times, pull six observations. And I hope at least one of you did that because I think what you'll see is, man, when you do it and you take your time with God's word and you just observe and you pull some things in it, there are some things hidden in the text that we miss when we glance over it, especially when we skim through a chapter with all sorts of names. But one thing we said to observe is when there's a term that is repeated, Anytime you're in a passage of scripture and you're reading it and there's a repeated term, well, that's something that you should latch onto and you should grab a hold of. And so let's kind of think about what in here are some repeated terms that, that point to some truths. So jumping into it, Nehemiah 3, <clears throat> 1 through 3, here we go. Then Eliashab, the high, I'm not going to read it all again, don't worry. Some of you are like, man, I'm going to settle in and drink me some coffee. There we go. Then Eliashab, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. <clears throat> they consecrated it as it and set its doors. They consecrated as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hanel. And next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, the son of Jechari built, right? There's this word that we've heard three times already. And if you were playing one, two, three, it would be a good wordle word because it's five letters. Um, <clears throat> there's this word that we've seen repeated at least three times, the word built, 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 built. But what's interesting is once we move past those first three verses, there's another word that's used that then is a different term. And we see that different term start to be picked up in verse four, where verse four says, and next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hasdok, repaired. Right? Next to him, the son of Sada, repaired. And next to them, Zadok, the son of Bana, repaired. Right? We, we've gone from the word built to the term repaired. And then, I've counted this at least twice. I think 30 more times in these next 32 verses, 35 times in the next 32 verses, we see the word repaired, 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 repaired. Pretty much everything that is going on at this point is no longer talking about being built, but it is talking about being repaired. And in the Hebrew, the word built is different than in meaning than the word repaired, right? Even in the English, those are two different terms, right? And in the Hebrew, the word repaired means to make firm or strong, to make firm or strong. It doesn't necessarily mean to make everything just like it was before. What this idea of repaired is repeated here, right, shows that the goal of Nehemiah wasn't to make everything just like it was before it was broken down in terms of what it looked like and the design and the structure. The goal <clears throat> for Nehemiah was to take what had been broken down and to repair it to be strong like before even if it didn't look like what it looked like before. The goal of Nehemiah wasn't necessarily, hey, we got to get everything looking just like it was. We got to rebuild it. The goal of Nehemiah is we're going to take everything that was broken down and we're going to build it back up to be strong like it was before, even if it doesn't necessarily look like what it looked like before. Here's I went out on a field trip this week because every weekday, I pass something that I think illustrates this well. So here is a telephone pole. Oh, 
Somebody did not take a good driver's ed class, right? Here's a telephone pole. And when I was thinking about this in the Hebrew, like this difference between rebuilding something and repairing something, I think this is a great example of something that has been not built, not rebuilt, but repaired, right? This deal is shattered. And so they haven't yet put a brand new pole in that looked just like this pole before they did it. What they've done is they put this kind of support beam in here, and then we got one other little uh, fixture. Man, I'm a good photographer. I should change careers. Right, these bolts going through there. Okay, so go back to the other one. So what they've done is, man, they have not made it look like just it was like before, but what they've tried to do is make it strong and repair it so that it could stand and so that it could accomplish its purpose just like it accomplished it before. And what does that have to do with Calvary? This is what it has to do with Calvary as we find ourselves this Sunday in 2022. We are in the process of repairing. Now, I, that's, sometimes we hear like something needs repaired and we think that's a negative thing or, oh, that's so bad. That's not negative, right? This is, I mean, we're repairing and I actually am excited about that. I mean that in a positive way. It's not a sky is falling kind of way. It is a good thing that we're repairing because it was a good thing for the bionic man to be repaired. Anybody here remember? Right now, I've just shown my age. Yep, you've all shown your age. Don't raise your hands too. Right, The Bionic Man. The Bionic Man may be one of the best TV shows ever, ever made. I, I've not gone back to watch it because it would be terribly cheesy. But I did take this week <clears throat> about five minutes of Jesus' time <laughs> when I should be working my sermon to watch the intro opening of The Bionic Man. If you don't know about The Bionic Man, let me tell you about The Bionic Man, Steve Austin. <laughs> was an astronaut. Steve Austin was doing this test flight or this astronaut thing, and he's in there with his cool little helmet on, and all of a sudden something goes wrong. He's lost pressure, and he tells Control Tower, I'm breaking up, I'm breaking up. And then there's a scene of the, uh, the thing <laughs> through the desert. It's so dramatic, but then you hear this background, beep, 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 and all of a sudden these really cool computer things, and there's this cool voice that says, we have the technology to build the world's first bionic man. Oh, I'm getting so excited. And we can make him better, stronger, faster than he ever was before. Literally, when it was coming to that part, I'm like, they're about to say he's going to be better, stronger, faster than he ever was before. And they made Steve Austin better, stronger, and faster than he ever was before. Half of you are like, dude, this guy's on crack up there. The other half, the other half, you are tracking with me. And you're going to go home and you're going to YouTube the Bionic Man and it will be the cheesiest thing from 1978 you've ever watched, right? But in our memory, it is good. The Bionic Man, he was, he, he had some things, he got a little shooken up, right? Some stuff happened to him and he got repaired. And so he was better, stronger, faster than he ever was before. I've said this repeatedly because it's true. We are not the church that we were before COVID. We are not the church that we were during COVID, right? We are now a church after COVID. We're, we're emerging from this two-year process that impacted every church in America in all sorts of ways. Every church in America for two years through a pandemic, through different people having different positions on some very challenging cultural moments, from not being able to be in person, from trying to, every church in America for two years, man, it, it, there was a car that hit the telephone pole and it caused some splinters. 
And everybody is coming out of that in church world trying to figure out, okay, are we trying to go back like we were before? Because I don't know if that's right. We're not the church that we were before. We're not the church that we were during. We're the church that we are now. And man, God in his sovereignty has given us the chance to repair in a good way. God in his sovereignty has given us a chance to become better, stronger, and faster than we ever were before, right? We're repairing, we're trying to make things strong, and it's an amazing opportunity for you and me to press into strengthening our body, strengthening our ability to know each other and to know others and to care for each other and to be cared for each other and strengthen and make stronger the way that we connect as a church. God has given us a great opportunity as a church body to make better and stronger the way that we build disciples and be purposeful about that and not just say it, but actually try to do it. And God has given us a chance, right? He, he brought us into a pandemic, and he's brought us out of a pandemic, and he's giving us a chance to reset and to say, man, as a church body, as a church body of disciples, how do we want to care for? How do we want to reach? How do we want to impact? How do we want to love? How do we want to serve? How do we want to let other people around us who don't know the hope of Jesus see us demonstrate his love tangibly to them and also hear the truth of the gospel, and God's given us a chance to be better, stronger, faster, and more purposeful in that than we ever were before. Man, the chance God's given us to repair, that's a good thing, because he's got things for us to do. You can never turn back the clock. You can never turn back the clock. You know, we all probably have places in our past that we, I loved living in Savannah, Georgia. Some of the sweetest years of my life, and not just because of the vast amounts of sweet tea that I drank. Um, But I know if I move back tomorrow, it's not going to be the same, because life goes on. Things change. You can never turn back the clock, but you can work to make the future just as meaningful. You can never go back. You're always going forward. And then there's great things in our past, but you and I together, we have the amazing opportunity to make our future just as meaningful as the legacy on which our past is built. And that's a good thing. Nehemiah wasn't worried about rebuilding necessarily. Nehemiah was worried about repairing and making it stronger and strong again for the future. Here's what this has to do with Calvary. As a body, we're becoming stronger and moving forward. Repairing, becoming stronger, and moving forward, just like Steve Austin. What's another observation, right? That's kind of observation four, if you're keeping track out of the seven. What's another observation from some repeated terms and ideas? And this is, again, kind of just a grab bag sermon today of some of these things. But Nehemiah 3.10, we start to see this other um, repeated idea. Uh, So here's what it says. Next to them... Jediah, the son of Harumph, repaired opposite his house. Verse 23, we see this of repeated term again. You can pop down to verse 23 if we got it. After them, Benjamin and Hashab repaired opposite their house. Guess what? The next verse. Guess what verse 30, 29 is going to show us? Sons of Zerah repaired opposite his own house. After him, one more verse 30. After him, Hanashah, six son, repaired another son. Son of Benjamin repaired opposite his chamber. Do you notice the repeated term? What's the repeated term? Opposite their 
house, right? There's this term that goes through this book about these guys who were repairing opposite their house. The concepts expanded on a little bit in verse um, 26 where it says this. The temple servants living on Offal repaired to a point opposite the water gate on the east side of the projecting tower. Some of you would be like, dude, what does that have to do with this house? Here's what it has to do. These temple serp- servants, temple serpents, these temple servants were the ones who would draw the water to bring into the temple to be used as part of the sacrifices and the offerings and all that stuff. And Nehemiah has them repairing right on the water gate. Here, here's what we see. Numerous times throughout this, if you go back uh, uh, through this, right? Man, Nehemiah is putting people along this wall in a place to rebuild, in a place to work that is opposite of their house. And for some of these different people who have jobs, he's putting them in a location to repair the part of the wall that is opposite where they worked, Right? Nehemiah is very purposeful. He says, okay, fine. You guys live on White Plains Road. I'm going to put you part of the wall that's opposite on White Plains Road for you to work out. There's two reasons they did this. One is like, if you knew that bad guys were going to come in to try to get you, right? Man, and, and you had a part of the wall that was near your house, you would work really, really hard to make sure that part of the wall was good, right? You, you may think, to your, you know how you go to Home Depot and you buy paintbrushes? Anybody go to Home Depot and buy paintbrushes? The best paintbrush to buy is a Purdy, P-U-R-D-Y. Okay, it's a little pricey. I don't buy them anymore because I don't really want to wash them and keep track of them. So then you can go to Home Depot and then you have options of paintbrushes. There's like the best Better and eh, right? <clears throat> eh. Here's the deal. If you were building like across some random part of the wall that you didn't really care about, you might be like, eh, I'll just use the eh brushes. I'll just use the eh cinder blocks. I mean, really, does it need like four screws in here? Like one will be fine. Cause, uh, but man, if you're building across from your house, you don't want no bad guys coming to that wall. You're going to get you the purdy brushes. You're going to get the industrial strength, crazy glue. You're going to do everything you can to make sure that the wall that is opposite of your house that will protect your family is strong and is good. And the other reason that Nehemiah had these guys work across their house is, guess what? It's convenient. You don't have to catch an Uber to go to work. You don't have to get your lunch pail and go to the Fairfield Metro Station, grab a train, go to the city. You open up your door, you kiss your wife goodbye, <clears throat> you walk across the street, and you start hammering, right? He put them across from their house repeatedly because he knew that people are going to have a vested interest in working well in places in which they have a vested interest. And he also knew it would be convenient. They just open their door, and they go do what it is that they're trying to do. What does that have to do with us? What does Nehemiah's plan to have people work where they lived have to do with you and with me? It has to do with this. Next point. Start and serve where you already are and where you have a vested interest. We've been talking about throughout the series that part of what we hope comes from this is that just like God put a burden on Nehemiah's heart, a burden to try to meet this need, a burden to try to stand in the gap, a burden to try to fix something, our prayer is that for every single one of us, God will put a similar burden on our hearts. That over these months that we're together, God will start to 
tug. God will start to pull. God will start to say, here's the work that I have for you. And as you're going through the process of trying to figure out where is that, right? What does God want me to do? Sometimes we just have to start where we are. Sometimes the place that God has for us to start involves just opening up your door and going across the street. If you're trying to process, well, where's the need? Where does God have me? Start and serve where you already are and where you have a vested interest. You do not need to go around the world somewhere else to serve God. If he calls you to and there's needs around the world, I'm not saying they're not, but some of us are like, okay, God wants me to serve him, so the only way I can do that is to go around the world 40,000 miles away. That sounds daunting, so I don't know if I can do it. Look, you don't have to go around the world to serve God. You can go across your street to serve God. You can open up the door of your apartment, of your condo, of your trailer, of your house, of your RV, of your whatever, and you can start where you are and you can cross the street. And there is plenty of ministry to do in the place in which God has you now. <clears throat> there are needs in the lives of the people who are next door to you. Across from your house. There was a need for these people in this day. Across from their house on the wall. And there are needs that you can help meet across the street from your house. Instead of worrying about, i got to go somewhere else to do it, just start doing it where you already are. And, and if you need help <clears throat> drilling down... Man, further, think about the things that you care about. Think about the things that you want to see done well. For those temple servants, they cared about the water being accessible and the wall being strong so they could get the water. What, they had a vested interest in that. What vested interest do you have? We've said it before. What tugs at your heart? What, what people group, when you hear a need and you hear about a certain group of folks that are facing certain things, it just makes something stir inside of you, Right? homelessness, addiction, underserved neighborhoods, underserved communities, English as a second language, refugees, moms who are trying to figure out what to do with their babies, children that don't have any moms, we, people who are in nursing homes that nobody visits and they've abandoned, right? When, when you are going through your daily life and you hear about a situation, you've had this happen, something inside you just pauses. And something inside you just goes, oh, I, I, do, I wish I could do something about that. I, I wish I could have a role in helping that group, those people, know the love of God and demonstrate the love of God and just be involved in walking the road of where they are. And for some of you, man, that is God tugging at your heart saying, that's where I want you to serve. That's your vested interest. That's where I want you to plug in and I want you to develop. Start and serve where you already are and where you have a vested interest. Our vision statement is for you to do that personally because I think what a lot of churches do and they do, well, what we don't want to do wrong. What we don't want to do wrong is just say, hey, here's some amazing things that we can do as a church collectively to serve other communities and to love our neighbors and to serve people. And so you all come together and do this and then we're good because sometimes what people do is they come together for the big church service project and they're like, check, check. Man, I'll rake leaves for 10 minutes on a Saturday. Ate me some free donuts. Check. 
I'm done. No, you're not done. Because you're supposed to be serving individually. You're supposed to be involved in, man, making disciples and loving people individually. Where you are. Every, imagine if every single one of us was actively involved in the lives of people around us. That is a huge impact we could have in our neighborhoods and communities. We want to make sure that this is something that every single person who calls us home is taking personal responsibility to do in our personal sphere of influence. But we don't want to just do that because we are excited about the opportunity together as a church Man, let's rally together as a body and figure out how we collectively can harness our energy and our gifts and love and serve people in our neighborhoods and our communities. And so we talked a lot about our first family meeting. We told you about our first family meeting till you were like, dude, if you say it one more time, I'm going to find a hymnal in the attic of this church and I'm going to throw it as hard as I can at you on stage, right? We said family meeting the first one we had till you were sick of it, so get ready. Guess what's coming again? Oh, yeah, you're so excited. (laughs) Yes! Hey, here's the deal. April 3rd, April 3rd. I would love for you to mark your calendar down because on April 3rd, we're going to have another family meeting. And the first part of our family meeting three or four weeks ago was about what does it mean for us to build a body and to grow as disciples, build a body and grow as disciples. This next time on April 3rd, right after this service, what we're going to focus on, okay, as a church, how are we together going to take some steps to start thinking about how do we personally and collectively reach and impact others with God's love and God's truth. And so what we'll be doing is we spending just a little bit of time telling you what those terms mean. We'll be telling you a bit about what we do now, and then we're going to roll out several new things. We're going to inform you of some local partnerships within a six-mile radius that will you'll have an opportunity in this moment if you have some time and want to learn more how to do that. We're going to be hitting those hard in the fall, but we want to get them in front of you for those who have more. We're going to be rolling out a missions trip that if you have an interest in learning more about this summer, that we want to put that before you. And what we're also very excited about is we're going to have for, ev- well, for some of you, whoever first come, first serve, we're going to have some opportunities before Easter Sunday to tangibly walk out of this room with two different things that you can take with you, and it is an easy first step just to build a relationship with some people who you may know and to show them God's love. On April 3rd, we're going to kind of explain what we mean by our vision. We're going to tell you some of the ways that we purposefully are partnering with some folks within a six-mile radius and give you some opportunities. If you want to learn more about do that, we'll be telling you about our missions trip if that's what some of you want to do with that, and then we'll be telling you some ways that at least 100 of us, if not more, can walk out of here that day with something that we can use to maybe build a bridge with somebody in your neighborhood or at your workplace or in your community, man, that that you just want to have an entry point to to start having the conversation. So I'd invite you to come April 3rd to that. You'll be hearing a lot more about it um, April 3rd after this service, third day of April. After the, ser- after the service on April 3rd. They say if you say three things times, listen in your car to radio things. They'll say it at least three times. It's a little marketing shtick I once heard. Okay, so we as a body want to rally around these things. We want to do things. We want to serve. We want to have a part. We want to grow. But, but here's the question. What if you have some baggage? <clears throat> what if you're like, man, I hear that, Peter. I would love to be part of a church where I have a role, where I can serve, where I can pick up a hammer and stand on the wall and put a brick in for the good of God's kingdom. But man, I got, I got a story. I've got something in my past that's there. What, what does that mean? 
Well, there's a name in this list that gives some insight to that. Last week, the first point was that you have a unique role to play and you are needed. But the question some of us may ask, but, but what if there's something that we're ashamed of? What if there's something that we wish weren't there? Are we permanently <clears throat> disqualified from being used by God? No, we're going to see that from a name right now. Let's be straight. If I went out in 10 minutes from now and did something very unethical, I would be disqualified from standing up here next Sunday. Because when you fall, there's a process of being restored. When you fall, there's a process of being restored. But the point of the restoration is to restore you. Because nobody is ever permanently disqualified. Would I be able to preach again? Maybe, maybe not. But are there still things that I can do in God's kingdom? There are. And we see that our baggage doesn't disqualify us from permanently right, from being part of God's work because of a name that's here. One of these names in the list, verse 15, here is the name. And Shalom, where did my man Shalom go? Shalom, the son of Colhazi, okay? So one of the dudes on the wall, his name was Shalom, and his daddy was this guy named Colhazi. In the Hebrew, what the word Colhazi means is all seer, all seer. A seer in the Old Testament was a psychic, was a fortune teller. A seer in the Old Testament was prohibited under the law and was in right, an act of sin that was opposite to God. This guy building on the wall, well, his family were a bunch of fortune tellers. His family, you'd go drive past him on the corner and you'd see a sign that's like tarot cards, like 10 buck reading, right? Palm reading, see your future. And man, that was a shameful mark on that family because that family was involved in sin and weren't pursuing God. And what we see here, man, in Shalom, dude would have had some baggage because of that. He would have gone into school and all the other good Hebrew kids were like, I don't want to talk to you. Your dad's like a Satanist. And that, we don't know the mark, but we just know that this guy had a story. And the story was that his family business was fortune-telling, which was opposite of the law, which was this sinful, shameful, subject-to-punishment thing. But yet it didn't permanently disqualify him from having a role in what God wanted him to do. He had some baggage. He had a past. He had a family thing happen that he probably wished wasn't part of his story, but none of that disqualified him from still having a role in what God wanted him to do. Here's what this has to do with us. Number six, your past baggage does not preclude your future impact in our body. Your past baggage does not preclude your future impact in our body. Again, if I have a moral failure in five minutes, I'm not going to be up here on stage next Sunday. There's going to be consequences. I may never be up here again on stage, but that doesn't mean in the months and the years to come, I still can't have a role in being part of a body. And I think many times some of us just think, nope, I can't do it. Let me tell you something. If our past baggage and our mistakes permanently disqualified us from having a role and an impact in the body, this would be a very short book. Because a significant number of the people who wrote the books in here had baggage 
and had sin. Paul, man, gave the thumbs up to killing people. David, who wrote most of the Psalms, slept with some lady that wasn't his wife and then to cover it up, killed her husband. Hold on. Slept with a lady that wasn't his wife, made her pregnant, and then to cover up, killed her husband. Did David face huge consequences for that choice? He did. He did. But was David also able going forward to have use by God in his kingdom? He was. You read the Old Testament. It is a bunch of fallen, sinful people who do some really, really bad things. Who in his grace, God says, you know what? You got to learn. You got to face consequences. But I'm not done with you. I'm not putting you on the bench and never putting you back in the game because I'm a God of grace and forgiveness and restoration and you still have a vital role to play. I don't know what your past is, but you do. What I want you to know is, are there consequences that you can't escape from past choices? There are. But that doesn't negate the fact that there's also grace and mercy and forgiveness and hope, and love. That's what the story of Jesus is. Your past baggage, our past baggage, does not preclude your future impact in our body. And then there's one more observation from a final repeated term. And so, ready? Here it goes. In verse 2, we start to see it, and then we see it a bunch more times. Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 2, says something. It says this, Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 2, says probably exactly what's up there. And next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zakar, the son of Imri, built. Next passage, pop it up here. And the sons of Hamath built the fish gate. They laid the bow. And next to them, Merimoth, the son. And next to them, Meshulam, the son. Right? And we keep going, and we keep going, and we keep going. And next to them, and next to them, And if you continue to read this thing, the thing that will pop out to you, almost every single sentence is this line, after him, next to him, after him, next to him. After him or next to him is repeated 30 times. 30 times as Nehemiah is working his way counterclockwise around that sheep gate, what he's saying is that nobody was serving alone. Somebody was serving here, but there was somebody who was next to him there, and there was somebody who was next to him there. 32 times repeated, Nehemiah made sure that everyone always had someone. Everyone always had someone. And it is this principle that is woven through Scripture that ministry is never meant to be done by yourself. Ministry thrives the best, both the ministry and you, when it's done in community with other people. And life is never meant to be done by yourself. Life thrives best for you when it's done with someone else. Everyone always had someone to encourage them, to laugh with them, to talk to them, to be with them, to help them, right? When one guy's getting tired, the other guy's like, bro, I know, man, just keep going. 
I'm tired too, but we're going to hammer out this next section of the wall and we're going to get it done. When one person got discouraged and said, this is hopeless. It's not going to get any better. This wall is going to fall apart. Somebody else was like, bro, God's with us. We're doing a good work. We can't come down. God's in this. Come on, let's go. There's encouragement. Encouragement. Do you know what the word encourage means? It means to give courage, right? That's why the word courage is in encouragement. Encourage means to fill with courage, to keep going. Because many times in life, things happen that cause us to become afraid and want to stop. Many times in life, career changes happen, financial stress happens, something happens with your parents, something happens with the kids, something happens with you, something happens with a family member, something happens in a ministry where somebody critiques you, something happens where you're discouraged or you're disappointed or you don't get the props you want, and you're like, I just want to give up. I just want to stop. I just want to hide in my bed forever and never coming out. And in those moments, we all need courage to take another step and to walk on. And it is very, very difficult to encourage yourself. Have you ever tried to encourage yourself when you're discouraged? Have fun. You know what you need? You need somebody else to come along and say, man, you were just on my heart. Are you doing okay? And you need to have the courage in that moment to say, I'm not doing okay. And you will be amazed what happens in that moment when that person speaks truth into your life and speaks kindness and speaks encouragement. I love the story in the Old Testament. There was this leader named Moses, man, and Moses was faithful and did a few stupid things. Moses killed a dude. What's up with all these people killing people? I've not killed a single person. Just wanted you to know that. Moses got worn out one day leading, and he'd come through this season where just, just discouragement and process, and it's this amazing story where God did something uh, supernatural whenever Moses' arms were raised. And Moses reached this point where he just couldn't do it anymore. He couldn't do it. Have you ever reached a point where you felt, I can't do it anymore? You know what happened? Two dudes came around him and like, bro, we know you're tired. We're, we're going to do it with you, and we're going to do it for you. And we're going to just lift up your arms. It's this amazing story of this tired, weary leader who said, I can't do it anymore. And two people came alongside him and said, bro, we got you. We're going to stand beside you. And we're going to do it with you. And we're going to do it for you. There was somebody next to him. You need somebody next to you. You do. I don't care how long you've been a Christian or how many Bible studies on Revelation. I don't care if you know Greek or Hebrew. I don't care if you're running, um, you know, Apple. I don't care how successful you are corporately. I don't, ca- I don't care. You need somebody next to you. And some of you are in a more discouraged place because you're alone. And life was never meant to be lived alone. Do churches like us do a good job helping you find people? Not really all the time. Because it's hard to say, fill out this form and we'll give you a lifelong friend to walk alongside you because there's chemistry involved in that. There's trust that's involved in that. You can't just create that through a program. You can't. But what we can do are create different environments to put you in with different people. And we can say, you know what? Come to men's night. We can say, you know what, get in a community group. We can say, come to our discipleship classes. We can say, hey, why don't you serve in a ministry team? We can say, why don't you come to some women's Bible studies? And are you going to make a lifelong friend in there? Maybe. Maybe not. 
But, but the more that you get into environments with more people who are part of the body of Christ, the more likely you are to find within those environments somebody with whom you connect who will do life for you and with you, and you won't be alone. None of us, right, what this has to do with us is ministering alone. You're not alone. You're not alone. I'm so grateful, right? Um, even this week, some folks were going through some challenges, and they reached out. And they're like, hey, we need just uh, some help. Well, man, what courage of them to do that. And what an honor it is to say, man, let me, let's figure out a way to get you the help that you need. Hey, we as a body, we're in the process of repairing. That's not bad. I'm not saying that what was before was irretrievably broken. Don't, don't hear that. Man, this church has an amazing legacy for over 100 years. And that legacy should be, man, we should be grateful for that. And that should be respected and honored because what has remained constant is a group of people trying to love God and their community who are focused on these words. And we are building on that legacy. And in COVID, every church in America got dinged up. We're coming out of it and we're repairing. And God is bringing us to a season of perhaps becoming better, stronger, faster than we ever were before. We've seen some principles the past couple of weeks from God's words about what relate to us. Know you're not alone. If our team can help connect you with anybody in any way, let us know. Come back next week. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up here. If you want to know a little bit about, man, what does God say about caring for the poor, I invite you to come back. If you've ever faced criticism in your life, uh, I'd encourage you to come back in two weeks as we navigate through that. Uh, I'm just grateful for all of you who are serving, all of you who are connecting, and for what God is doing in our church in this moment and in this season. So let me pray. Father, um, I pray for those people who feel alone today, that in your sovereignty you will bring others into their lives, just, just your absolute grace that you'll bring people into their lives to check on them, to ask about them, to reach out to them, um, so that person who feels so lonely and overlooked will have somebody with whom they can walk. Thank you that you put us in a group of people, Father, and we're trying to rally around Jesus and around you, and we're not doing it alone. Thank you that there's grace and there's forgiveness for our past. Thank you, God, that we have the privilege to serve you and to try to figure out, man, what does it mean to be a church in 2022? And we want to be a church that isn't just isn't inwardly focused, but outwardly, and we need your help. And we're just grateful that you're leading us and that you have great things for us, and that we can follow you. So, so give us wisdom, Father. Uh, thank you for what you're doing. Amen.